here in uh, Advent is wonderful. This is the second Sunday of Advent and the second of three Ps. Um, that, uh, so last week I think you were looking at preparation. Uh, next week you're looking at peace. And today we've got prophecy uh, that I was given as the theme and the title. So I wonder if to begin with um, I can give you an opportunity just to throw out some suggestions of what you think prophecy is. Who'd like to uh, give us a, a few ideas of what we think prophecy is? Thank you. Forecasting the future. Yeah, certainly an element of that. When we look... Say again. Thank you. Yes, God speaking into a situation. Anything else? Those are really helpful. Yeah. The, uh, the three I kind of wanted to... Um, us to hold on to, really, of things that I think that uh, prophecy... Uh, is it's uh, it's being a channel of his message so thank you that was really bringing God's message it uh, I think it can be through words or actions so Isaiah which was the prophet that the reading was from today Isaiah largely was prophesying through words whereas actually if you read uh, Jeremiah Jeremiah quite often used what we call symbolic actions and um, I mustn't forget to uh, bring these up. So, so being a channel of God's message in word or action. But I think it's also, you mentioned about speaking uh, truth about the future. I think that's absolutely right. But it's also, I think about the now as well as the not yet. I think prophecy is actually timeless revelation. What I call God's eye view. I'm always... Um, really uh, awed by the fact that, I mean, we, when, as we live our lives, of course, we can look back and we learn from, from what's gone before. We look around us and we're aware of what's going on now, but we cannot see the future, can we? The future's a mystery for us, uh, which is maybe why prophecy feels so exciting for us. We want to know what's coming up. We want to be able to plan and all of these things. For God, it's different because God exists outside of time. So for God, he sees my situation and my circumstance, but he also sees everything that's coming up as well, all in one glance. So when God makes a promise of something for the future, he's seeing it already fulfilled when he makes the promise in the here and now. And that excites me. That means I know that I can put my faith in God's promises because he already sees it fulfilled. And so it isn't kind of wishful thinking, but it is an assurance that God has it all in his hands. So prophecy, I think, is all of these things. I want us to hold those in our minds as we look at um, a few words, actually, that I think God gave that uh, are here for us during Advent. But who does God tend to use for prophecy? Well, if we look at the Old Testament, it tended to be particular people, so like Isaiah, who were chosen, called, and anointed by God 
And someone like Isaiah was, that was it, that was it. That was his role in life, was to be God's mouthpiece into the circumstances and the situations that he came across. You move into the New Testament, though, it's all slightly different. We see that prophecy is one of the five, what we call the fivefold. Some of them think of it as fourfold, but whichever way, it's one of the fivefold uh, kind of ministries that are listed in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. You know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So some people have that as as their main gift, their main ministry, and perhaps you would know someone that you feel often will, will bring a word that just seems to be that word from God in season. And so maybe when you're uncertain of things or needing to make big decisions, maybe those are the people you go to because you sense that God has gifted them in that way. But the New Testament also seems to suggest that prophecy is a gift of the Spirit that we can all ask for. In fact, we are all encouraged to ask for the greater gifts, Paul says. So it's a gift that we can ask for, maybe just for a one-off particular situation, God's inspiration, God's word for that situation. I would venture to say God doesn't just use people to speak his message. And there's a wonderful story in... Uh, Numbers 22 of Balaam's donkey. Are you familiar with Balaam's donkey? Yeah. God actually speaks through a donkey because Balaam is going in the wrong direction. He's taking the wrong course and God stops him in his tracks through the actions initially of his donkey who will not budge. And eventually because Balaam is so frustrated that his donkey isn't budging and doing what he wants to. He's whipping him and beating him, and so the donkey speaks to him. Now, I'm, I'm encouraged by that, because I'm a donkey. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm a Guernseyman, and, and Guernseymen uh, are called donkeys. That's, that's, I think people call us that, you know, as, as, a, as a sort of a, um, a compliment, you know, a sort of uh, a name that's just kind of packed with, um, you know, loving um, uh, connotations. But I think it's also because we're stubborn. And so, uh, you know, Guernsey donkeys just do tend to dig their heels in. But if God can speak through a donkey, then maybe God can speak through even me and even you. God can speak through other things. The burning bush, God speaks his message to Moses for a particular situation, a particular time. I actually want to start with uh, just reflecting a little bit on what uh, God was saying to Moses through the burning bush. Why? Because actually, although we might not sort of see uh, this particular passage as one of the classic Advent prophecies or Christmas prophecies, when we actually read what God said to Moses, you will begin to see that so much of Scripture is prophetic, speaking about Christ. Because God says to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering." 
So, and this is incredible, look at this. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So as I said, prophecy is, has, a, has a message, it has a meaning for the here and now or the there and then when it was spoken. So there's obviously a, an immediate context to this, and I'm sure we know what it was with uh, you know, the people were enslaved, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. They'd gone there uh, generations before to uh, obviously escape the, uh, the famine. But actually, Scripture has... There's something called typology, uh, and there are certain sort of pictures, um, and words have certain meanings in the way they're used in Scripture. And the, the name Egypt, or the country Egypt, its typology is that... Um, it's often used to represent um, people putting their trust in human security. So, so the people of Israel often went to Egypt to escape things, to escape persecution, to escape famine. Egypt was a sort of seen as a safe and secure place. But Egypt also then became kind of um, known as, metaphorically as, as a place where people put their trust, but in human things rather than in God. Anyway, that's, that's a little bit of a side. But the people of Israel were, had, had fled to Egypt, as we know, and then as they grew in numbers and they became, uh, they became a bit of a threat to the Egyptians, so they were enslaved. And they were crying out, and God, it says here, has seen the misery his people Israel. He's heard them crying because of their slave drivers. He is concerned and he came down to rescue them. Now in that sense he came down to call Moses and Moses would be his means of rescuing them. But it seems to me there is such a long-term future messianic prophetic word here that God still sees the misery of his people. And hears their cries and is concerned for their suffering and has come down. And in a moment we'll come on to the Emmanuel prophecy in Isaiah. But Emmanuel means God with us. This is not a God who remains on his throne at a distance, unmoved by the emotions and the outcry and the suffering of his people. But this is a God who sees, who hears is concerned and comes down to rescue. If that isn't an advent, hope, I don't know what is. And this is way back in the beginning of the Old Testament. You see, God's word, all, when we actually are open to this and looking with eyes of faith and looking for the prophetic word, actually, God's, all of Scripture really, deep down, points to the big salvation picture which, of course, was enacted through Jesus. And, of course, the, the whole rescue, then, that comes after that is packed full of, um, sort of, yeah, it packed full of meaning that relates to the Christmas story and then the life of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. The whole um, rescue 
of God, of his people Israel, including the shed blood put on the doorposts, including the Passover, which of course Jesus' last supper was, was based upon, including the promises of the promised land. At the very end there, God promises that he will bring the, Egypt, the Israelites out of Egypt into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That became known as a sort of a metaphor for heaven, really, for the promised land. The promise for all of us that one day he would bring us out of our crying, our misery, our enslavement to sin and take us to a promised land. Do you see how prophecy works in scripture so let's get on to uh, so that was the message to uh, Moses from God let's look at the message from God to uh, to Ahaz and here we see that God says to uh, Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah ask the Lord your God for a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The Lord will bring on you and on your people a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. So once again, in this prophecy, there's an immediate context, the there and the then, that Ahaz found himself. But of course, we know now, because we live in in, 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 in New Testament times, we know that we can look back at a prophecy like this and see in it the sign of the virgin and the virgin birth of Jesus and the promise of salvation through him. But the immediate context uh, here for Ahaz was that the, the nation of Israel um, had been split into two kingdoms, after Solomon's death, Israel, or Ephraim as Isaiah calls it, was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. Ahaz was king of Judah, the southern kingdom. And the threat was being experienced by the Assyrian Empire who were threatening to invade from the northeast. So, of course, the northern kingdom would be hit first. So Israel, or Ephraim, had, in their fear, had formed an alliance with Aram, which was also to the northeast of them, to try and get a, a force strong enough to resist the attack of Assyria. But to make themselves really strong, they wanted Judah and the army of Judah to join that alliance as well. That's the context of this Emmanuel prophecy. And so the armies of Aram and Israel have come down to Judah and are encamped around Jerusalem and they've laid siege to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, to try and force King Ahaz to agree to join their alliance. And he's not sure what to do and so he asks Isaiah. And so Isaiah goes to meet him with his son and he speaks these words. And basically what Isaiah was saying to the king uh, King Ahaz is, don't put your trust in alliances, but put your trust in God. And God will bring about the right outcome. 
But if you put your trust in the alliance of Israel and Aram, then you will be destroyed. And he says, ask the Lord your God for a sign. Ironically, Ahaz says, I will not put the Lord my God to the test. But Isaiah wants to convince him. And again, there's, there's sort of two aspects to this sign. There's an immediate context to the sign. Because he was, God had told him to take his son. His son, Isaiah's son, was called um, uh, Shear Yashuv, was the name of Isaiah's son. Which means a remnant will return. And commentators think that the, that the first aspect of the sign was his own son and the meaning of his name which would be a reminder or a convincing um, argument to King Ahaz that if he puts his trust in God, then there will always be hope. A remnant will always remain. But there's also this long-term sign of the son, Emmanuel, that would be born to a virgin that we know was prophesying many, many years later. And so you see the prophecy had an immediate meaning and context, but also a kind of eternal meaning and context. Which brings us to God's message to Joseph. Because we look forward now to the um, the prophecy being fulfilled, that long-term prophecy. Because God is faithful. It may, and it did take a long time for this prophecy to be fulfilled. But we see in God's message to Joseph, now in Matthew chapter 1 and verses 20 to 23. Joseph, son of David, this is God speaking through his angel. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, it says, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that is Isaiah. And the quote, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So you see, God's word is sure. It is faithful, even if it takes quite a long time. Or even if it's only partially fulfilled in the here and now, but fully fulfilled in God's timing. But we can put our faith in his word. And of course, this promise is the ultimate promise. It's the ultimate salvation for those who put their trust in God and not in earthly security, not in Egypt, not in alliances, but put our trust in God. So that's kind of the context of we're kind of looking at what is prophecy, how does prophecy work, looking at those three, those two particular prophecies and the fulfillment. But actually, what am I most interested in, and I suspect, what are you most interested in? What has this got to say to us? 
What's God's message to us through his word? To Moses, his word to Ahaz, his word to over the whole of uh, the scripture. What's his word to us as Alton Baptist Church on the 5th of December, 2021? 20, Gosh, doesn't time fly when you... <laughs> I think there are three things that he wants to say to us. I think God wants to say to us this morning that we serve a God who sees, who hears, is concerned and has come down to rescue. I wonder if that's your experience today. That actually, your experience is misery. Maybe you've been through a time of misery. Then God's word is saying, God sees the misery of his people. For many, it has been a miserable season, hasn't it? For many, it has been a time of tears and sadness and crying. But God says to us, today, as he said to Moses, I have heard my people cry. God is concerned for our suffering. And he has come down to rescue us. What a wonderful promise. And again, that's a promise that's already fulfilled because, of course, we're looking back 2,000 years to the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. But it's also a promise that is yet to be fulfilled, isn't it? Because he's, he came and yet he's going to come again. That's the whole focus of advent isn't it advent meaning waiting we're still waiting what are we waiting for we're waiting for the ultimate fulfillment of his salvation plan because he's enacted it in jesus he's made it possible if we put our trust in his promise in his prophetic word and put our trust in him not in the egypts and the alliances around us but put our faith in him then he will take us to be with him. He will ultimately rescue us. He is coming again. And the promised land is still there for each and every one of us as we put our trust in him. So we can have assurance in his word. So if that's your experience, be encouraged that he sees, he hears, and is concerned and has come down. The second thing, I think he wants to say to us this morning is that this is both present comfort and encouragement. This is something that we can take now as a truth. You know, his love for us that meant he came down. His desire to, to have us as his children to be with him one day forever. This is a present reality, a present comfort, but it is also a future hope. Now, it may be that actually your experiences, you feel that there's a sense, you have a sense that God has given you a word for something. 
Maybe you feel that God has given you a promise, but you haven't yet seen that promise fulfilled, whatever that might be. I don't know, it might be to do with um, a physical thing, a healing. It may be that you've been seeking the, a loved one, someone dear to you to come to know the Lord. Whatever it is that you feel, I believe that God has promised that this will come about, but I'm still waiting. then I think God would want to say that he has seen and sees now the fulfillment of that promise. In his view, because he's timeless, it has already been fulfilled. Even in your waiting, put your trust in him. It will come about. Do not give up hope. Because Advent, waiting, is not just waiting for his second coming but waiting for him to have his way in our lives and to fulfill his promises. And then the third one that I think he wants to say to us, the third word is that this is a message. This message of hope, this message of salvation is a message that he wants all to hear. Out here in our community or wherever you live, whatever is your community, there are many people who are in misery. There are many people who are crying. There are many who are suffering. There are many who are lost and whose, at the moment, long-term future is, and destiny is, is that they are lost forever unless and until they hear this message of hope, the good news, they need to hear it. And maybe, and this is what I think the challenge as well might be, that God might want to use you as his mouthpiece. You see, he uses all sorts of people, all sorts of ways of getting that message out. That's the wonder of prophecy, God speaking through ordinary people, ordinary situations, ordinary objects and symbols. Actually, maybe this is a challenge to you and I, that this Advent, he wants us to share that good news with someone, be it in words or actions, because it's good news that we have to share. God has come down to rescue us. He took on flesh and lived amongst us and showed us his love. He took us took on our sin at the cross and carried its consequences for us. He rose again and defeated death. He's coming again one day to take us to be with him for eternity. So my prayer, my hope, this Advent for you and for me is that we might embody this good news in word and deed as his prophets, as his voice, his mouthpiece, and as we await his coming, may we share this good news with someone who needs to hear it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your precious words that is a gift to each and every one of us. Thank you that your word all contains so much of revelation of you and your salvation plans and purposes. Thank you that you are a God who hears and sees, is concerned for our suffering and have come down 
to rescue us. Thank you that uh, you love us so much that you sent your son, Jesus. Lord, may this be a comfort and a hope for each and every one of us. May this be an inspiration for us to share with others. And as we find ourselves waiting, Lord, may it be, may it be um, something that we can hold on to as we await the fulfillment of all your promises in our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake.